Hey fam, thanks for checking this little recording out. If you're listening to this, it means you must have attended a talk, workshop, or even a class of mine that I recorded, and you want to get the nitty gritty. That's great. Excellent. If you're just being snoopy and you're trying to figure things out, it's all good. My name's Dan White Hodge. I'm an educator, and you're about to learn something today. Thanks again for following up, and I truly hope this adds an enrichment to you and your work. As always, hit me up if you got them questions at whitehodge.com and check out my podcast while you're at it, Profane Faith. I'll talk with you later. Peace. back again as a, uh, a class. It's your friendly professor, Dr. Daniel White Hodge here, chilling like a villain. Well, listen, I don't want to uh, keep y'all this week here too long because I got a banger of a conversation happening with, you know who, the great Marcus Payne II. Uh, he is on right now, and I wanted him to come uh, for a lot of different reasons, which you'll hear here in a minute. Um, but uh, as you know, he works in the Office of Diversity, and um, he has been a longtime friend. He was once a student of mine uh, as well, and um, we've just had some great conversations regarding God, faith, race. Um, and I was like, I want to get you to class. And I talked with him before this whole thing started happening with the pandemic. And um, he was like, oh, yeah, no problem. And then this thing happened. And then I was like, well, looks like we fit and have to go to the podcast. So it, it, this is a great conversation uh, to end our, our I don't want to say in the class because the class isn't technically ending yet. We still have this week left, uh, but this is the last week of quote unquote lecture course engagement because in the following week, next week is um, uh, well, your final presentations, and then after that is finals, and then it's a wrap. All right, it's a wrap. So we're almost done. I wanted y'all to check this conversation out because I think it summarizes what we've been talking about um, in this class for a long time. So, um, yeah, it's a couple caveats. One, we cover a great gamut of things, um, and uh, you know, I, I make no apologies for it. The other thing is that we we definitely use strong language, so keep that in mind. Yeah, well, the the sensor button wasn't even working. All right. Hey, yeah, I know that's pretty funny, right? Um, so I just wanted to say, you know, keep that uh, above, but you know, that probably makes you want to hear it even more, right? Because that's just human nature, right? You tell somebody, don't do this, and then that's the minute they do it. <laughs> so, uh, but I just wanted to give you that caveat, but that shouldn't be anything new to any of y'all in this class because, you know, I've been trying to keep it real since day one. Um, I also think it raises up some good questions and some good critical thinking questions in regards to what does it really mean to be a citizen of this day and age? And particularly for those of you who still subscribe to Christianity as a religion, what does it actually mean to be a Christian? Uh, and what theological premise have you been following? Uh, you know, those are some great questions, particularly as it pertains to communication, because all those things 
come together. So without any further ado, check out this conversation that Marcus and I uh, had. I wish we could have done it in person, although I think the realness of the conversation here doing a podcast style uh, presents an even better form for us to just have a more rich conversation. Uh, But check it out. And I look forward to uh, seeing y'all's comments and feedback in the discussion room. All right, y'all. Peace. Kong a little bit ago um, last week because I was like, man, we need to have a conversation around like blackness and Asian American racism right now with what's been going yes. on. Yes. And kind of what's interesting about that because do the right thing hits yes. on some of those themes of just like the dynamics of of integrating into neighborhoods where you are necessarily the the dominant majority, but you are receiving the majority of funds, you're receiving the majority right. of money, and how for the, for Asian Americans, Asian immigrants, right now they're now facing not I wouldn't even say similar, but they're facing heightened racism yes. due to this pandemic, due to um, forty five calling it the Chinese virus, and how it's important to kind of circle back and be like, y'all, y'all receiving some of the stuff that we were getting before, but y'all never wanted to to lock arms. And Rich was like, yeah, man, that's a real thing. Cause he was telling me a story. He got ran off the road one time, you know, Damn. once kind of during the height of this, just because of, because of some of the racism he was receiving. And so um, definitely would be interested to try to loop him in a conversation. I feel like that would be a great combo um, to, to chop it up about, um, to just engage. What does it look like to engage racism mm as a unified body um, because they they're no longer going to they're no longer the model minority to America you know what I'm saying right Um, interesting because Miranda a few weeks ago once once it started getting heightened she insinuated that she believes that the next model minority will be like more Hispanic folks because they're they're more of the 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 workers they're seeming essential and how the Asian American Asian immigrants were getting pushed to the side because uh, Hispanics are here holding it down, providing us food for right now, and how that next step might happen, and how at the end of the day, it still will be black folk at the end of the color scheme. You oh, know what I'm absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely on that shit, man. Absolutely, and that's the thing is that we always show up on the end of the stick for everything, right? Yeah. But you know, I can see that. That's a good point. That's a good observation. Yeah, I was reading some shit last night that that was that was showing like even in China right now, man. Like African immigrants are getting treated like shit, man. It's like yes. and people were already commenting. You know, Black Twitter was already on it. They were just like, you know, like, oh, we wanted to lock arms. You know, y'all wanted to lock arms with us, but now you know everybody's crickets. Now nobody wants to say shit about this. It's like you know, and they're like taking pictures of the signs. They were like, you know, we're not letting black folk in, and we're not letting Africans in because y'all have this thing. And I'm like. The audacity, really? Like, you, but, but y'all were the ones who, who the outbreak originated and started from. Now you want to come to? It's always a way to put put blame, and that even also relates to because because do the right thing like causes a bunch of emotions and like conflicts within a person and within anyone who watches the movie. But one of the things that I find interesting is how at the end of the day, it's always black people's fault for right. X, Y, and Z happening. Um, and even though we're not the originators, we get blamed. So with the corona, we're getting blamed for why we're dying so quickly when it's quite impossible for us because we don't have, like, south and west side food deserts. Uh, people are crammed together in housing. Right. Um, it's not their fault at this time because they've been in such an unjust place. And so for me, like, I, I actually watched the movie twice yesterday, just seeing the different up. intersecting themes from today and and back then, it ain't nothing changed. It's brilliant 
for for putting that movie together. Well, and that's just it, man. I mean, that shit came out what 1989 and yeah. summer of 1989, and here we are, right, 2020. Um, and I always ask folks like, what has changed? Sure, styles have changed. We, you know, ain't, we ain't rocking the flat top fade no more, and right. you know, uh, maybe some of the although the Jordans, I would say, still pretty much almost look the same, yes. right? Yes, they they've only been repurposed, right? <laughs> right. But what has changed, right? It's like you still have you still have this economic disparity that exists mm-hmm. uh, in communities. I mean, I don't even think. That particular neighborhood, Bed-Stuy, I mean, I'm, I'm not now I'm not from the East Coast. I don't know if you know this, man. Like, what is that? What has gentrification done to that neighborhood? Because I know Brooklyn has changed a lot demographically over the last 20 years, man, um, let alone 30 years, you know, since this was filmed. So I'm not even sure, like, what parts of Brooklyn are even, you know, of color anymore. That's a real thing. And one thing I, I, I also don't know much about Brooklyn, but what I do know following Black Twitter. I don't know if you remember when Joker came out, everyone was kind of moving to like these steps of the movie yeah. Joker that was centered yeah. in Brooklyn and how they were saying that one corner is like the only corner that still looks like the normative uh, like what it would look like 20, 30 years ago. And yeah. So it seems like Brooklyn might be like the Wicker Park, you know what I'm saying? Where you still might have sprinkles of color everywhere now and then, but you have that white dominant hipster uh, yeah. sneakers for the, the urban flow. Um and that's that's a sad thing because then with that you lose kosher and that's one thing that right. I don't understand um, when it comes to gentrification is like why do you then want to move into a neighborhood and and suck off the culture of why you want to move into the neighborhood and then that's also kind of goes back into with Sal his family like his son Vito loved black culture but right. didn't love black people right and so he wanted everything about the culture he wanted everything about knowing yes. magic johnson and michael jackson yes. and prince but wanted nothing to do with the people what what is the <laughs> what is the insult like what do you want with that like what are, are we surrogates do you want to enter our bodies and just be us within a 3d movie and that's what gentrification feels like exactly you, you want to be us but you don't want to be within and lock arms and so well, it's everything but the burden, right? It's exactly what yeah. Greg Tate talked about, right? It's like, it's, I want your culture, I want your style, I want your music, I want to dance like you, but it's like, when it actually comes to you, I don't really want that, right? I don't want the burden of being black. I don't want the burden, right, of of having to deal with the police. I don't want to have to, you know, it's always, that, what amazed me about the Tiger King was just how far whiteness goes when, you know, unchecked whiteness, right? Jeez, just how? You know what I'm saying? I mean, how? these cats, these, these motherfuckers go out and get cats, like large ass animals. Can you imagine if someone, right, a black person had done that, had done that and gotten these big ass cats and not just one or two, because I get it, the shack and them and all the popular people have, mm-hmm. the rich people have some of those, but nothing to the level that this fool had it. And then the minute the law comes in and then, then the law's even threatened of him. Right. Cause you know, cause he carries the gun. They're like, well, how is how, how the law so scared of, of, of a man? Right. And so that, I think that's what pissed me off about Tiger King because I, I fed into Washington. But I was like, it's so easy to become rich and be legal, uh, do illegal things if you're white. Right. You know what I'm saying? You white, racist, and country. You know what I'm saying? He fits and he fits into every mold of what our current president represents and his his people that he reaches out to. Take your guns and do what you want. 
Right. I saw Joe Exotic did. He took his guns and did what he want. But it got me wishing like, there. I wish I was some country boy that could easily just start selling animals and be making <laughs> millions of dollars. Like, what and how does that even happen? Right. Right. Millions of dollars. And then on top of that, you've got people working for you that you get to pay them, you know, the amount of stuff that you get to pay them. Um, and then, oh, boy, out in what was it? Uh, the doc, you know, who, you know, who yeah. was, uh, you yeah, know, who was out there with his harem. And I'm like, dude, this is this. I mean, the whole thing just tripped me out. Right. And then you got old girl down in Florida where I'm just like, there's nothing different than what she's doing other than she's got PETA behind her, right? Carol Baskins and shit, right? So it just trips me out, right? And then, you know, then you got the whole thing with her husband. It's like, I, like, is, is he really like, is he, did the tigers eat him? You know, did they, did they tear him up or is he buried in the, in the park somewhere? And nobody's even investigated that stuff. But How yet, did it get that far that no one was investigating? Because, you right. know, good and well, gee, they've had they've had drones hovering around in black and brown neighborhoods during this time. Right. Like they could figure some of this stuff out. But it seems like they pick and choose what justice looks like. Exactly. You know um, and that kind of moves into the climax of the movie when Bill Nunn gets killed. Like they right. didn't arrest Vino. And Sal, you know what I'm saying? They went right for the black people when everyone was the one that was beefing. Who receives justice? Is justice only the received for the white folk? You know what I'm saying? That's what gets me. I mean, and that I think that's you know in the film, you know, there, you know, the two disc set. The criteria I have the Criterion edition, so there's a whole other disc. You know, because Spike mm-hmm. filmed everything. Like he documented, yeah. he wanted to document it, and that you know that's kind of been his style. So it, like it goes into like some of the background of you know of of the movie and so it, it you know again it lays out right the the understanding it's like you have a man here who you know everybody's beefing everybody's fighting but who does the chokehold go on right and at that mm. time that was a major thing i mean this stretches from coast to coast from new york all the way out to los angeles this was yeah. one of the things that um i don't know if you've seen oj the oj simpson story on the espm and that's probably one of the best documentary series I've seen ever, really, um, because they just allow people just to be as racist as they wanted to be, right? They got Mark <laughs> Furman on there. He's talking about, I ain't never said nigger. Oh, I probably did. You know what I'm saying? I probably yeah. did. Um, and then, you know, it goes into the fact that, um, you know, he wanted to bring the, the chokehold back. He was like, look, if we had had the chokehold, that whole Rodney King thing would have been over like in 20 seconds. You know, but again, who gets the chokehold? Because it certainly ain't the Tiger King. It certainly ain't Carol Baskins who's getting the the right the 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 the, the brunt end of that type of lethal force. So then, what the hell do you do with that as as a black person when you know it's like you've got? I mean, the list goes on, right? Of Philando Castile. I mean, you know, Mike Brown. Mike Brown, I mean, Eric Gardner. You right. Know what I'm and some of the symbolism that he even put in the movie with like Tamara or Tawana Talks, you know, with that. Right. Uh, with the um, woman who, I think it was sexual misconduct that the judges said that she falsified information. Right. She doesn't get anything. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. And so there's there's never any value given to, to black and brown people. But then that then poses the, the question, which I love with... Uh, uh, his uh, fist cuffs, the, the balance between love yeah. and hate, and how the the harsh reality is, one can't really exist without the other. Yeah, it, it kind of reminded me of some some sick balance that always needs to be in the world. Like there will always be these forces of love and hate, but too often than not, the black folk are forced to to push back with hate, and when they respond with love, they then get pushed back with hate again. Yeah, because part of me doesn't. Part of me would say that. 
Spike's character didn't fully like hate and have like disregard to to Sal and them. I think he wanted to get his dollar. He Absolutely. wanted to, to find a way to make it work. You know what I'm saying? But then he kept getting pushed back with hate, with hate, with hate. And at the end of the day, that's how we had to respond. Like that was the only natural reaction. You can only get pushed too far before you get your last step, before you hit the last straw. And Mookie was on the last straw. You know what I'm saying? Right. Bundle was on the last straw. They couldn't take it anymore. That type of pushback. You know exactly. Exactly. Do you think, do you think there's a, a place for like for such pushback right now in today's reality, especially with what we're going through within the pandemic? Do I think about that? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think this pandemic reveals right all the the sores, like kind of what we were talking about before, right? It's like, you know, you got a place like North Park that already had problems before. So it's like it's with any family, you know, crisis reveals and exacerbates all the sores and the, the ugliness that that was, right? So we see the ugliness of capitalism. Yeah, We see how, you know, businesses have been treating workers, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you see a movie like Elysium where, like, you know, you see, uh, uh, you know, how workers are looked at and, you know, and the downtrodden and the rich, of course, live up in the sky. Yeah. I mean, I have no doubt that, you know, when a vaccine comes out, I'm not going to be the first to get it. You're not going to be the first to get it. You ain't lying, though. You know what I'm saying? That's not going to be coming. And and you even have people in the highest right in in Washington saying, uh, you know, black folks are the ones who are getting hit the worst in Wisconsin. I mean, I think it still stands that like 85% of the deaths have been African-American, right? So it's like... Milwaukee. Right, in Milwaukee, right. And it's like, this is some crazy stuff. And that that hit me because I'm like, wow, all these problems that we've been dealing with, right? High blood pressure, hypertension, diabetes, um, heart disease, just low immune system in general. You don't even have to have any of those things, but just you're constantly working. You, you know, you work a nine to five and then you got to work an eight to 12 shift, right? And so... That lowers your immune system. And so now all of a sudden you're faced with this and now you're gone. Right. And so that I think there's a lot of overlay with that. And I think there's I think people are pissed right to the level of 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 of, you know, of the level of of rioting. I mean, it it, it only takes a spark. Right. I mean, um, so, yes, I mean, there's a lot of overlap with that. I think the pandemic just shows us exactly how reveals a lot of different things and i think you know people talk about going back to normal it's like man you know what what is normal um after something like this it's like we hit a million it took what did they say i said it took two two three months to to hit a million um you know with infected but it only took another week or two weeks uh to hit another million so now we're over two million who are infected you know of course this is across the globe but still i'm just like man that and this is and here's the thing. This isn't even a, a a virus that is something like Hollywood, right? Like where it's mass death or turning us into these different beings or whatever and stuff, Not man. <laughs> I don't want to underwrite. Exactly. I don't want to underwrite, underscore the, the, the badness and the sickness of, of, of Corona. But I also don't I also think it's important to know that, you know, how is then the the earth acting in a sense like Thanos, right? It's like you got, Man. you know, people can see the Himalayas now for the first time in, in decades, if not a lifetime, right? You got uh, clean waters. You've got clean air in China, right? It's like even Los Angeles is experiencing less congestion. So it's like, Man, I was like, how does this stuff connect with like Thanos? Because I don't think Thanos was all wrong. <laughs> Gee, Thanos, I have, I have, I, I want to go back to North Park because I have a nice little Thanos pop. Because what about things? I like to collect these little like cartoons. There you pop go. There you There's go. War Machine one right here. <laughs> but I, I honestly, Thanos is my favorite character the Marvel Universe ever put out. 
one because of his conviction. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I just respect a man who has such conviction, but his character wanting to, in a sense, challenge the universe to say, "You are killing it. Like we we are destroying it." In the in the good that came out of something that was so sickly. But the hard thing is when when we slow down, we stop killing stuff. Yeah. When we, when we have stopped, we have literally stopped killing the earth. Um, and so I got a friend, he works um, within um, health, within the government. And he was mentioning, he was like, why would this change how we travel? Will this change how we do vacations? What's the point of going to like a place like Aruba every week now after this? Like, is that is vacationing across the state even being a good neighbor? You know what I'm saying? How do we view neighbor? How do we view vacation? How do we view rest? How do we view relaxation? Because all of those kind of ideas of vacationing and visiting places like Disney and Islands of Adventure is all consumeristic and capitalistic. Is that really what's needed for us to find rest as a people? There you, go. you know what I'm saying? And yeah. even more so taking a step further with black folks, some of us work so hard for, for nine to ten months just so we can provide for our family to have that one or two week vacation because yeah. that's how we're then trying to find rest and relaxation. Do we need to take a step back and redefine how we view getting away? You know what I'm saying? Do we need right. to take a step back and redefine what it means for us to be revitalized? It even challenges our definition of what Sabbath means. Because for some of us who are working remote, Sabbath is almost every day after 4.30 because yeah. we can't do shit else. And so it's it's really challenging like how we function fully Absolutely. as a society and as a people. Absolutely. And especially with our most vulnerable, you know, because I don't know if you saw, but unfortunately, another person from Statesville passed away, you know what I'm saying, um, on Monday. And so, like, what are we doing with those who are confined um, unjustly, which then, of course, um, affects black folk a lot more? Absolutely. (laughs) And so it's like at every every intersect, we are the ones who are getting the short end of the stick. And part of me, I know when the numbers started coming out about black folks being most affected by this virus, mm-hmm. part of me was just damn near heartbroken because I'm just like, we just can't make it. It don't matter yeah. what happens because at the end of the day, we will always, most of us will always be stressed and stress will always have an adverse effect to our health. And so how the hell do we then move forward if we're always constantly stressed? Well, it's what Killer Mike was talking about, right, in his series Trigger Warning, right? It's like, you know, he's like he created this church of 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 sleep, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like that got me. Like at first I was like, okay, haha, funny. But then I was like, well, wait a minute. It's like, man, over policing, overcrowding, and just I mean the list goes on that we've been talking about here, right? And now you get somebody to tell you to sleep, it's almost like an oxymoron, right? Because it's yeah. like it's black folk. We always have to be hustling to 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 whatever, to whatever next level and stuff, man. And it's just like that does. It takes a toll on you physically. Um I think about I was just talking with a friend. In fact, I want to get her on the 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 podcast, uh, Jennifer Baldwin, her and I she's a therapist. We're actually writing a book on, on the, uh, the expanded MCU, uh, and whatnot. But, and she was just talking about this whole fight or flight and just about the different levels of, of, you know, how you ask for help. But if that doesn't work, then you go into like this pan. I mean, I'm not even doing it justice the way she was breaking it down, but basically, I mean, she asked all the levels all the way up to death. Right. She said, but, but a lot of people, 
because they've asked for help or because they've tried to do these these resources and these other things, they're not even starting there anymore because they know those don't work. You can't mm. ask for help from the police. You can't ask for help for government assistance because you know they're not going to help you. So you're already starting in a state of fight. You're yeah. already starting in a state of, of, of angst and emergency. So it's like a pandemic just takes this right to the whole nother level and stuff man and i think about folks who like got to live in a studio apartment i think about you know myself growing up if i if this had pandemic it happened 30 years ago man i'd be in a studio apartment with mm-hmm. my mom with my grandmother you know we'd be that would be us that'd be us all living cramped in in a in a little little studio right with, yeah. with a little 13 inch tv that may or may not work yeah. um that's, and that's also what has come out with New York. I think an article came out yesterday that there's been more like the number of New York's death toll is actually higher because there's been such a large number of people who've died in their homes. Right. You know what I'm yeah. saying? And so they're not being able to take account for those. Exactly. Exactly, man. And that's it's saddening, right? It's because it's like, man, it's like you said, it's like you just if you feel like you just can't catch a break. That's why I, I have a problem when somebody just says, you know, because um, this gets into theological stuff, right? It's when mm-hmm. folks just say, oh, well, let's just pray about it or, you know, God protect us. I think it takes on a different meaning. This is part of what Anthony Penn talks about in Nitty Gritty Hermeneutics and, and, and how you have to push past the bullshit of theological right uh, referencing when we think about a god that that is if god is 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 this merciful god that protects mm. then we have to begin to ask the question right is mm. god a white racist then mm. you know because it seems like he's had his hand on just the whites <laughs> in white culture and that's not to say whites haven't experienced bad things and everything but it seems like right the trajectory of success the trajectory of being kept and being given the wealth and being given the the, the land right um, theologically it's very interesting which is why I'm not a fan of you know uh, current Christian evangelicalism and whatnot and so um well, we've even seen that with with pastors um, using the mode of God will protect you. God's black pastors, God's hand will protect you. Right. You don't have to worry about it. Um, the pastor who just passed away a couple of days yeah, ago, telling yeah. people, "Don't worry about this, my children. God will heal you." But unfortunately, he passed away too. To me, that is the the foolishness of mainstream evangelicalism, which is this idea that we are untouchable, which is a white construct, yes. and not that God has given us discernment and wisdom. Yes. It, it, it's, it's this untouchable evangelical construct that nothing that we do will have any repercussions. And when black folks start living into that, we then see an extra step of repercussions, and that's why evangelical theology is problematic in marginalized communities. Yes. Because black and brown folk aren't untouchable. You know what right. I'm saying? Right. Black and brown, especially black and brown folk, once you go into the 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 kind of the lowest of the, the vulnerable spectrum, black and brown folk who are part of the LGBTQI plus community. They are they are they experience even more oppression outside of these things. And so evangelical theology doesn't work. Right. It, it doesn't work right now during this right. point in time. Right. Exactly. And so that and that's and that's part of the problem, right? And this is I just had another conversation with a, another a friend of mine, you know, who his his whole dissertation was looking at, you know, blackness within the Bible and blackness within Christianity and just, you know, the roots of Christianity and just seeing how black it really is and stuff. I remember I talked about this in my book two books ago and stuff, and I remember the publisher being like, Oh no, no actually I was on a podcast and you know, it was some white guys and we're just like, Well, how can you say Christianity? 
Christianity is a, 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 a black religion. How can you say Jesus is that? You know, it's like, you know, that's 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 not any of the case. And again, I say you skipped over some of the fundamental practices. I said, that's the power of colonization. You have looked mm. over the history of where Christianity is and how it's been colonized. Because I believe once you push past the bullshit and the colonization, which is a huge pile of bullshit, yeah. um, I give it to you. Um, there's much to be learned. And I think that's the challenge, right? Because it's like all we've been given is white conservative ideology and, and white conservative evangelicalism. That's just not working now anymore. And I think that pushes people away from church and away from religion because it's, it's, it doesn't fit, right? It's like, well, wait a minute. You told me to pray for these things. Be positive, <laughs> right? It's like, how yeah. can you be positive and pray for these things when you like you all the things we just listed, right? Surveillance, you know, <laughs> police brutality, um, police terrorism and yeah. stuff. It's like, how do you stay positive in that shit? Um, so I don't know. It, it, it causes us to begin to think differently about who God is or who God well, was. We have to, I mean, the late great James Cone, my favorite theologian, Jesus is black and he, and he starts at kind of the roots. He was a, a immigrant running away to Egypt. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. His parents were carpenters. And so that basis of itself doesn't even fit into the white evangelical scope because they don't know what it means to be on the run. They don't know what it means to have their lives to be threatened. They don't know what it means to have to be in a shelter in place during normal times. Times. You know what I'm right. saying? Black folk have had to live in, in like a shelter in place mentality at times for their own protection throughout history. Yeah, exactly. Our bodies have never been safe. And so that the, the, the I think if anything, speaking specifically for the black church right now, they need to just disconnect from any type of form of evangelicalism because it's not going to work for our congregation right now because it doesn't fit. We're not experiencing the same things that other folk are face experiencing. We don't have the same healthcare. We don't have the same grocery stores. We don't have the same our CVSs and Walgreens aren't even the same. You know what I'm saying? Right. The place where we get our medicines don't even look the same. Right. Um, and so we, we have to do a full divorce. Like it, there yes. needs to be a full divorce, a, f- a full revamping. Cause if there's not, there will be continue. Cause then the other thing, hard part of evangelicalism, cause I feel like a lot of black pastors then move into prosperity gospel bullshit. Yes. We're all not Joel Osteen and we're all <laughs> not John Gray. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like we're not all Stephen feared. Like we need to calm the hell down and realize what it means for us to be ourselves our own context and stop looking back to your Elysium mentality stop looking up to the hills where you believe our hope comes from when realistically Christ was on the ground and was hopeful that way as a carpenter there you go that should be where our basis and our start is you know what I'm saying how was Christ acting on the ground and not in the hills right Christ right. wasn't a King David. A King David mentality is in the hills in Elysium. And I don't believe that was the reality or the theology that Jesus presents when he gets on the ground. Exactly. Exactly. And that's and that's and that's part of it, right? It's like it's blue collar, it's working class, it's in the midst of the people, um, in the midst of what is happening and what is going on. Um, and not afraid, right, to 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 get into the shit. And you know, and you think about all the stuff that Jesus did. He's like, you know, like in the class we were, we've been talking a lot about just, you know, it I mentioned, you know, Jesus, I mean, he was very direct with just his approach right to to assholes right it's like yeah. he'll tell people right up right 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 around right around the thing right it's like no man y'all y'all a bunch of damn ass brood and vipers and uh and snakes and i'm 
we're not we're not gonna you know I'm not gonna tolerate that shit. That's bullshit. He's yeah. gonna walk into the temple and put a foot in somebody's ass. Um, right. You know what I'm saying? And those are the yeah. things I think that we get that get lost because Jesus has been such a wash down and really. Um, it's really a retreated perspective on how we look at Jesus, uh, because it's like, man, if, if I saw Jesus the way it's been, the way Jesus has been painted to me, I'm like, man, I don't want to follow that. It's like, man, I, I, that's that's Jesus is a punk. I don't want to follow no punk. I mean, who wants to follow a punk? No one does. So I'm not going to do that. And so I, I get what the Zulus and the five percenters are talking about in the, in that sense and whatnot. Um, you know, and I always think it's like, well, if, if race wasn't such a big thing, why do we continually have white? Jesus thrown before us, right? In movies, uh, in films, in in uh, in goddamn um, uh, 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 pictures, and all the damn you know children's books that we read. So no, man, I don't think that it's it's a matter of just um, you know just saying oh well race doesn't matter to God it's like no it, it matters the whole goddamn book of Matthew opens up with a damn lineage and ethnic history of who Jesus and where Jesus came from right and I think the fear of digging into and I always think this the reason why white evangelicals don't want to dig into the importance of race in the Bible because most likely they will see that they are the Canaanites <laughs> you know yeah. they are the Ammonites <laughs> they, they are the Philistines they are the ones that were against God's people and the moment that they dig into the anthropology of, of race theologically they're yeah. screwed their, their whole doctrine is thrown out of the window because it was based on the fact that we have the knowledge we have like western Christianity we were the leading scholars in Germany and Europe and then we brought that right. over here to America and we still had that same thing theological lineage. You know, that's why fools like John MacArthur doesn't want to dig into what social justice gospel means because he doesn't know a justice gospel Jesus. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I'm Same thing with John Piper. And one thing I always I always give McCray props for is that he finally got away from a lot of that yeah. stuff. Because then they, yeah. they just want to use us at the end of the right. day. They don't want they want our talent. They want the people that we bring in and the money that we will bring in bring to them. But they, they don't want us. Right. They don't want our heart. They don't want our pain. And what's even more problematic with not engaging into uh, on the ground immigrant Jesus is because if you look at the fact that he still had the scars on his hands once he moved out, once he got back from the cross, like he still had that damage. Black and brown people have psychological and even physical damage from the abuse that they receive from the right. government. Right. We should be locking arms with that reality. Constantly, that the, the, the this savior still had the pain from being abused unjustly. Yes, and rose with those scars better than when he came out. You know, more right. aware, more accomplished, more fulfilled. Um, and not trying to say, not trying to dig in too much into the theology that says like we need to be persecuted in order to be yeah. To grow. No, absolutely. But the reality yeah. is when we work our muscles anatomy wise, we get stronger. You know what I'm saying? And sometimes muscles have to break. To still gain strength like that shit is reality that shit is important that's just our human nature and i think that says a lot also about the gospel that he came out with scars um and, and black and brown folk have the scars people on the margin still have the scars well brother i mean that's and that's that's reality man and i think i mean as you're talking i'm thinking a couple of different things um i think about vino and pino you know and just the the dichotomy right it's like one 
doesn't like the culture, doesn't like the people, but loves the culture, right? You know, mm-hmm. he has that whole conversation. You, you know, Spike even tells him, right? It's like, you know, your hair is kinkier than mine. Mm-hmm. You know, but then the other one is... It's almost like white liberals, right? It's like the ones that want to come in and want to be the friend. And, you know, Mookie's even vouching for him. He's like, no, man, he's cool. He's cool. You know, he knows cool. Um, But at the end of the day, it's like, well... What do I do? And then there's almost a catatonic stage that that happens, right? And this is this is what's happening yeah. like in North Park, right? And this is the stuff you need to keep it one hundred. I mean, right? It's like this whole diversity caucus that you know is that we're talking about and shit on on you know at North Park and all the stuff that's going on that you are well aware of, and <laughs> you know the whole thing that happened with the um, uh, dad, hall. right, right, town hall meeting and everything. Yeah. And I'm trying to tell my colleagues, my white colleagues, that always talk all this stuff about MLK and let's bring you know these poets on campus and talk about all this. You know, I'm like, dude, all right. And first, that's a whole nother conversation. It's like, how are you going to bring a white poet on campus in Black History Month? What the <laughs> hell's the matter? Your goddamn problem. And then if you really consider me somebody who's engaged with that, you haven't consulted. You just come and tell me it's happening. But anyways, yeah. I'll get off my stoop on that one. My point in saying all of this is that I'm laying out to them like, look, this is what needs to happen. You're going to have to get dirty on this one. You're not going to be able to sit on the sidelines. Or if you are, at least be honest enough to be like, I don't want to get involved. And I just put it out in an email. I won't go into verbatim, but I was just like, look, all y'all are sitting by and you have the privilege to sit by. I have never had the privilege in higher ed to sit by. The reason I've survived damn near 20 years in higher education is because I don't trust most people. It's because yeah. I suspect that somebody is doing something behind my back. Yeah. Okay. I have to act this almost the same way that I acted on the streets, right? That code of the streets still has mm-hmm. to be applied um, in the academy. Um, yeah. And that's part of the reason why I've been able to survive this long. But I was just like, none of y'all are really going to get that unless you came from some of these backgrounds or unless you're really ready to get into it, you know? And of course, you know, be, oh, well, I, I don't know. I just think we can still work with the administration and everything. And I think, we, you know, we just got to show them that they... That, that we respect them. And I'm like, wow, man, white people, you really believe that shit. That same advice they try to give black people. Well, just respect the police, you know, just just, you know, just go along with whatever they say. And, you know, that old politics of respectability and bullshit. Well, so that shit doesn't even matter. And I think the hard thing about to your point about white liberals and it kind of goes in line with gentrification. It's just like you want to get in and like tap into what the pain looks like. But as soon as you start feeling the pain, you're like, oh no, nope, right? Nope, nope, nope. This right. ain't this ain't for me. I didn't know what I was getting to. I didn't right. know that my my job security was going to be threatened at all times. So welcome to being black. You know what I'm saying? Right. I didn't know that my words were going to be twisted. Well, welcome to being a black woman. I didn't know that they were going to think I was going to be angry all the time when I'm just being passionate. Well, welcome to being every person of color who's had to vouch and fight for themselves. As soon as they start feeling what it means to be in the margins, they then second guess the reality of how much they want to dig in. And then to me, back to kind of looping James Cone back in, unless you're tied with the Jesus of oppression, you're not Come really on. tied with the gospel. Come on. And so when you're just choosing to hop in and out of oppression, you're choosing to hop in and out of your Christianity. The moment you're hopping in and out of your Christianity, are you really practicing your faith that is self-sacrificial? Because Jesus says in Luke 9, in order to constantly pick up your cross, you drop your own cross, pick up the cross for others. 
But what happens with white liberals too often is that when they start picking up the cross of others and not their own cross of their own glory, they are no longer comfortable. That is. So it's really a question of like, what are you willing to pick up? (laughs) And a lot of times they're willing to pick up a mask of of oppression. You know what I'm saying? A guise of oppression. But as soon as they get into the skin and feel the scars in the spirit, as soon as they hear a song like, one of my favorite songs by Prophet Kendrick Lamar is Black and Mary. You know what I'm saying? Because it's just such a raw conversation of like, you want everything back, but you don't want anything black. You know what I'm saying? You put me on a pedestal. You teach me that I still need to be like I am in the streets. And that is not only then affecting how I inter- interact with white people, but then it's also affecting how you interact with your own people because you're going back and forth from places of oppression that you're so frustrated that you can't. And at the end of the day, to your point, you don't trust nobody because you've been dealing with whiteness so much that it it affects your your psychology, your psyche, your trust, your faith. That when you go back into the places within your community that you should be comfortable, that you should feel like you're getting life and getting poured into, you're trusting the basic needs that people need, which then also what leads black people to be so susceptible to a virus because our immune systems are fucked because we're so stressed. That's <laughs> it, man. Woo! <laughs> yes, sir. We're just, we're just, we're stressed, we're frustrated, we're over, we're over everything. Absolutely. Well, I mean, and, I mean, and and so two things I wanted, to, I wanted to talk on. I mean, and and I, again, I know time and whatever, man. But it, it. So I don't know if you wanted to comment. I mean, we talked a little bit about police terrorism, yeah. um, and and I know you had a personal connection to, yeah. uh, to this and yeah. what happened to the security guard, right? That yeah. got you know killed. Uh, brutally killed uh, when he was trying to save motherfuckers from getting killed from another a mass shooter like walking mm-hmm. into the place I don't know if you wanted to comment uh, on that for sure I know for me that scene took me like took my breath away yes because Bill Nunn is a big dude and my right. bro Jamel was a big dude you know what I'm saying bro was 6'5 wow 270 you know what I'm saying wow and he was a darker skinned brother also you know and so kind of the and he wore his hair short so there was a lot of similarities he was a loud dude and so for me I was like crap people were just trying to live in their bodies but their bodies are always threatened and I'm actually um, one of the, the negatives about kind of this Home alone, not home alone, but shelter at home is that you start digging into news more. Yeah. And you're more seeing social feeds. And so it's, I feel like I've even had an influx of seeing more videos of yeah. police brutality yeah. happening over the past month. Um, and so it, then it gets me to the point where it's just like, in order for me to be safe within my physical body, like my immune system, I need to wear a mask. But as soon as I wear a mask going out, my physical is. body is is now a target. There it and is. So what does what does safety look like in the midst of a pandemic? Or and 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 for someone like uh and all Bill Nunn wanted to do, uh Radio Raheem was just be himself. He just wanted respect within the restaurant and yes. to play his music. He just wanted to live his life. Right. And so for my my bro Jamel, who he was just trying to save someone doing his job. And the fucked up part about that situation is he wanted to be a cop. His dreams was to be a part of CPD. He was actually in the works to being like getting in the classes and to be ingrained into the Chicago Police Department. And he got popped before he did that. And so I've always like on a low key note, I've always been skeptical of police. I'm even more skeptical of police now. And I also then get concerned for my black and brown brothers that want to be cops, but also wear the system because then their their bodies are never safe too. Right. Um, And so. 
for me, like all of those kind of ideas was were circling through my head once I saw uh, both times Rudy Raheem's life get taken by police. It's just like, yo, as much as we would want something like that to just be a movie and just be like a traumatic scene, the shit's not. It's happening all the time. It's happening right now in Chicago on the South Side. Because you don't see, I don't know if you've seen this, but they got like notices that they've been putting like in front of the South and West Side of just like, unless you can prove you live here, don't enter here. They're yes. not doing that shit in Lakeview. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. They're not doing that shit in Ravenswood. Right. And so even in the place that should be our home, we have to prove that we live there, prove that we have worth. You know what I'm saying? Right. Prove that we have a purpose and a place. Prove that, that this is our space also. Right. Like everything is is under attack right now, and not to get like too loud and riled up, but like for me, like that's been a real thing. Like the the and I also what I've been realizing for me because I've never been one to struggle with anxiety like outside of like speaking engagements and shit like that. Mm-hmm. But since this pandemic has started, my anxiety has skyrocketed out of the roof. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Yeah. To the point where I'm like having chest pains and. uh uh, acid reflux and trouble breathing and then telling myself that I have the symptoms where I really don't and it's just my mind messing me up and so it's it's been all of those worries and it then doesn't help when I have to go to the grocery store or want to take a walk outside to get some fresh air because I've been inside for three days like constantly under attack constantly man that's what about you oh man brother <laughs> Well, I appreciate you sharing with Jamel, man, because I don't know. I don't think enough people know that, you know, your connection to that. I mean, um, it has been hard, too, because uh, nothing's been done. Nothing's been said. Well, no, that's uh, just it. Right. <laughs> they, they just walk away. clean. He's probably patrolling the streets right now. <laughs> right. And, and that's brother. I can tell you, man. I mean, as as experience having experienced that, I mean, that was part of the L.A. uprisings. Right. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. after seeing Rodney King and they, they didn't even kill that nigga. Right. It's just like they just beat his ass. And it was the first time America really saw what was going on behind the scenes. Right. It's yeah. like this kind of brutality. No one wanted to believe it. Right. And we'd already been talking about it. It was in rap music. It was posted yep. in, 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 in poetry. It was posted on yep. walls that this is what's happening. This is what's going on. Right. It's like this canary in the mind, that yep. whole thing. It's like, you know, black folks are the ones dying and you don't want to believe it until it erupts out somewhere. And you're like, Oh my gosh, how did this happen? And what's even hard about the police brutality piece and especially with Jamel I remember when we were starting to kind of organize like the first couple months after he passed away yeah and we were getting information like that the police officer had a body cam video but that shit wasn't getting released and still hasn't been released and so then it comes into privileged information and it's privileged you white people protecting their neck and so that's what always makes me frustrated with kind of the idea of police and kind of this serve and protect you serve and protect your own neck and you serve when it's in your own your own favor it's it's very hard for me to believe right now in my life as a 24 year old man that the system of policing was ever meant to serve and protect all people absolutely never right. the case. i think i'm pretty sure also that it was the reason police were even started were to catch slaves and so even if that's if that's true the basis was to get us in the first place and so yes. when, has, when has ever the government even been for us, especially in the serve and protect flow? Absolutely. No, that is the history of, of the uh, um, Charles Murray talks about that in the in the history of policing. Um, uh, uh, what's her name? Oh, man. And uh, the new Jim Crow talks about that. I yeah, mean, Michelle, so this, Alexander, Michelle yeah. Alexander, this has been well documented. I mean, when I taught African-American history, both from 
1600 to 1866, and then from 1866 to 2010, um, you know, we talk about the history of policing, and, you know, police officers were developed, these systems were developed, their roots are in keeping black people in check. This goes all the way back to a group called the Red Shirts, which would eventually turn into the Ku Klux Klan, that were designed after slavery had quote-unquote ended to make sure that black folks never made it to a political high power. In fact, most people were, most scholars and most pundits at that time were predicting a black president. And they were like, oh, it'll just be a matter of time. Maybe by the 1880s, 1890s, we'll have our first black president. Um, and, you know, it, you know, we'll, we'll be in a whole different spot. So that was designed, critically designed, you know, again, by the hatred for blackness. I mean, and so yeah. and, it, and, and that's difficult, I think, to believe. Right. For a lot of folks who, do, who want to believe in the myth of the American nation, right? That we were created, all created equal and that we all have the equal opportunity to do things, right? And this is what's called in the, in the scholarly field for those students who are listening, you know, this is what's called the mythological imagination, right? This, this mm-hmm. imagination that we have of the American dream, of American values, yeah. of, of being able to live a certain life of freedom, so that cognitive dissonance then comes in when we when somebody says, I am being right brutalized by a system that does not have regard for my life or my well-being. Right. Um, yeah. I am being told to do certain things. Right. This politics of respectability uh, and, uh, and that's still getting my ass beat down. Right. And so yeah. it's very easy then to dismiss it and be like, oh, that's just. You know, they, they should have just, you know, they just listened to the police. Just, you know, why did you have to do better? They should have worked harder. Right. You know what I'm saying? They didn't right. pray hard enough because it ties into theology. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. The city on the White Hill, the pilgrims thinking that their manifest destiny was to take over this land. And then that also births into Republican ideology. You work hard. Once you work hard and how hard you work will then prove forth blessings and, and harvest. You will harvest well. Nah, fam, that shit ain't the case at all. Right. And I'll go the other side, too. I think the Democrats have this sense of like, we'll come to you Mm. for votes. We'll come to you and we'll make you sound all good. It's my problem with Biden. Right. It's like we'll come and we'll make you sound all these great things. But in reality, we really don't give a shit about you either. We really just want to remain in power, but we'll act like we're your best friend. We'll act like we're your 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 buddy buddy, you know, in this sense, only during voting time. And then the yeah. rest of the time you can't get those mofos to do shit. They're washing their hands of right. everything like pilot, you know what I'm saying? Exactly. Their hand like, okay, I can do this one thing for you real quick. You know right. what I'm saying? But when we get done, I'm going to sanitize and wash my hands for 20 seconds to make sure I get the fact that I helped the black or brown person out of my system. You know, and then they try to wash their hands with us. And, and if anything, I, I just hope that people see that this is just this whole pandemic is showing how our government functions and what they really value. You know what I'm saying? They, they don't value those who are on the ground like. Those who be, grocery store workers should be making twenty five dollars an hour after this. You know what I'm saying? Amazon workers should have a set salary and not be paid hourly. Like all those people who make the world run are those who are at risk the most. But politicians and the people that we have elected don't give a fuck about those things. And it's and it really comes into the privilege of information. Kind of back to the policing thing is because it's when police holding on to information keeps their image protected. And so unless we educate folk more about how governments and systems are not for the good of all, things will continue to keep the same way. 
Well, and that's and that's part of it. And that's what and that's what gets me, man, because I felt like, you know, after the L.A. uprisings in 92, I felt like, OK, we've got an opportunity here um, to do something. Right. We got an opportunity that it was there was a sense of banding together that at least in my lifetime mm. at that point I hadn't seen. Now, my mom had seen that right during the civil rights movement, which right. was part of the Black Panther movement and all that good stuff. But I hadn't seen it up until that point. I thought, oh, my gosh, we can really do it. But it's just like, man, fast forward. And we hear 2020, we're still talking about the same shit, right? It's like you, you think re- we're going to move on? Right. And we rewind the political tapes, right? You hear Clinton back then talking about, or Bush, who was the you know the president at the time, yeah. you know, talking about, oh, we need to look at these systems and what's happening. We just can never happen again and this and this and that. And we got to understand it. And again, Democrats, Republicans, for me, I don't necessarily see uh, the difference. Really, mm. be honest with you. I mean, you know, one is trying to like, you know, abuse me through laws and policy and trying to take advantage yeah. of me. The other one is trying to just milk toast me and, and to comatose me into believing that <laughs> they have my best interest in mind. Uh, just keep voting for us and stuff. And so, it, man, it's it's a crazy world, man. It's a crazy world. And so that's where I feel like, okay, at least my own journey is I'm trying to figure out is where does God show up as somebody who still believes mm. that there's a God, somebody that yeah. still believes in Jesus, still believe and still claims Christianity as a religion. What then does that look like, right, in the midst of the bullshit? Yeah. Um, uh, and I don't know. I mean, that's the thing. I don't. I don't. I don't have the answers that other than I know that it's not what I was told. It was supposed to be right. It's not that shit back there. <laughs> no, I think for me, that's something I've been wrestling with because I still work with high school students, as you probably remember with CYC. Like I've been doing that since I was a student back in right. 2015. Yeah, yeah, um, man. So kind of um, during the and so I've been doing that discipleship with them Thursday nights forever now. Um, but we, I remember doing when I was preparing for the first one, like post pandemic kind of first Bible study. I low-key had a crisis of faith because I was just like, how do I? come to these students and tell them that at the end of the day, like somehow, somewhere, God still sees the world and values and loves those who are in margins. And so a lot of my students live in kind of a vulnerable place because they live in Japuza. And I don't know if you know much about Japuza, Jesus People USA, mm-hmm. but they there's all kind of poor families who live in this kind of hotel complex that is, it's basically was an old hotel. And so they're all trapped together in these kind of confines. They are in some sense at risk themselves as well. And so for me, that's been something I've been navigating, but I think the piece that I find is when I kind of go back to the idea that Jesus was a black oppressed man. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think kind of grounding in that and how even within this Holy Week, how Jesus handled being betrayed and and also kind of valuing community. Because I was talking about it last week with my students, the duality of Christ knowing that in the midst of his persecution, knowing that one of his homies was going to betray him, but also understanding that he has to value the time he has with people now. And even in the midst of that, he found time to pray, you know what I'm saying, and still kind of dig in to reassure himself. And I think that's part of what we have to do today, like as as people who are on the margins, is one, dig into the community who we know, like values, sees and cares for us and gather kind of, I really think it's like virtual spiritual strength that happens when we connect right now. Because even for me, myself, seeing your face is like uplifting because another black man is still making it and is alive in this world. Like, <laughs> that, that's something like we really can't take for granted right now. Yeah. And then also kind of finding a way to 
continue to realize where do you find God? You know what I'm saying? And so for me, it's definitely hip hop. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Listen to hip hop like crazy, but then it's also digging into literature and reading again. And yes, reading cast like Tanasi Coates, reading James Cone again, going back to liberation theology because I kind of recenter myself um, in the in the midst of of, of a, a virus that will have you question your whole existence. Right, man, that is the double truth, Ruth, brother. I think um, those are good words. Those are good words. Um, Damn, you know, we've covered some ground here, man. I know um I don't want to I don't want to keep you forever. I think this is this has been some good uh good material to talk on, man. What's uh, let me ask you this uh before as we wrap up and everything, man. What what are some things, man, that what are some ways that you navigate these waters cuz you know, you and your wife are, you know, involved in a lot of different things, man. I mean, it's like Miranda was, you know, the, at the center of all this shit, right? Yes. Here at, at least in North Park. I don't know what's going on at uh, Loyola, but you know, it's like it you know, she was at the heart of this stuff, man, and just knowing her and having had both of y'all as students and and now as friends. I mean, what are, how are y'all navigating these things, man? I mean, cuz it's like sometimes I feel and this is just me, like, you know, teaching a course like intercultural communication is really pointless cuz I feel like I'm still seeing some of the same shit I thought that we were working on 15 yeah. years ago. Um, and we're still just recycling, right? It's like, yeah. it's, it's in like, in, in our classes really it? Like, yeah, I, I don't know, man. I mean, those are things that I, that I ask myself about and, you know, what is the, what is the long-term sustainability of intercultural relationships? Is it really what we say it is? I don't know. I really don't, man. What, man. what about you? No, no bullshit. I think the the hard part about like working in diversity, um, and then of course my wife formerly worked in diversity, but even now working in housing, is like the hundred dollar question: is is true equity ever really a thing? Because I think interculturalism kind of makes us think that we can all be like equitable and equal if we continue to have these conversations and find ways that we intersect together. But as soon as a shitstorm like this happens, we see that that's not possible. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's been the hard like thought process that I've been having is just like what well and like let's say if we just think about it at a college setting, like how will the majority of our students ever feel like they have a place in a home and a place where it's showed that it's unequal when it comes to learning once you have to go back home? Because there's numerous students who either couldn't go home internet screwed up and I'm sure you know this as a professor didn't have internet right crammed into homes like that that, that is even it don't even work and so I honestly think that unless universities have separate emergency funds or separate funds for specific people um and specific like context groups or uh, economic statuses that Conversations around inter- like interculturalism, being a multicultural campus, all this stuff doesn't matter because it, it it's right now it's framed that that diversity brings in money, that diversity brings in good face, that diversity brings in grant stuff. But in reality, the diversity, I hate to say it, but giving students the dream that they are equal once they come to a campus is a fucking lie. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so until we kind of dig into that reality. 
Uh, I don't understand. Like, I I don't I don't get the purpose of, of of holding these conversations because right now someone like me, I'm, it's no longer like hosting workshops and and hosting like nice DI talks. It's, it's finding helping students find books. Uh, getting, yeah. Internet, you know, yeah. Helping them get housing. Yeah. Basic needs. Yes. You know what I'm saying? And so until we backtrack and start having conversations since around basic needs again, I think in an act, uh, whenever North Park returns, it should be a conversation about how do we make sure that no matter what happens again, that students' basic needs are not only met when they're with us, but we're giving them resources for them to be met when they leave us. And that was not in place at all. And so yeah. I know I was kind of all over the place, but I think kind of where I'm centering is uh, we I'm need to you. backtrack, like wanting to get numbers and figure out if we even like we've said before plenty of times, this is what the town hall was about. Do we have the systems in place to bring these students here? Mm. Do we have the systems in place to be a primary HSI institution? Do we have the systems in place to have such a large black and brown population? Do we have the professors? Do we have the faculty and staff? Have people received training? You know what I'm saying? Is there the right communication? Like until those things are in line, it is unjust. It's also ungodly then to provide a false narrative that you will be cared for well if that is not the case. Right. And so if anything... And this is risky. We like Christian schools should be checking how they're really practicing their faith right now. It is because if if your capitalistic money's at the center of of your decision making, you you just need to just cut yourself off because that is again not the nitty gritty immigrant scar still in his hands, Jesus. And so for me, it's, it's got me thinking, like, what in my role can I do to help ensure some of those systems are in place? And so things that I would hope to want to do is, like, find a way to get a food bank going on, pushing for emergency funds drive, right. getting surveys and assessments because, you know, in higher ed, they don't do shit unless you got the data. And so getting that stuff right. in order so we can show that look, this is a need and needs a need to be met now because um, that's the only way. We can truly prepare students for lives of significance if their life outside of us is significant. And I don't. And, it, and <laughs> this challenges how much a school like North Park believes that their students' lives outside of North Parkness is significant. Ooh. And so I, 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 it, it really just challenges, bro, like the core beliefs of every system we're a part of, but especially a system like higher ed. Higher ed was, it has always been elitist, um, and we were under the guise that it's not elitist, and I think even now, a basic resource like a utility of internet, like, that, it, it's hard for some people. Um, yeah. And we just yeah. need to backtrack and just, and start there. Um, but I'm worried that that because money loss will be the primary concern, that we will be, North Park will be another five years trying to have these conversations again. Right. Right, right, man. <laughs> and so it's like, what's the point? But the cycle then continues. Because like Spike Lee, he made that movie 30 years ago, and that shit is still happening, and probably even happening on a larger scale. Um, and the fucked up part about it is that they can hide it easier. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the right. That's the that's the that's the electronic age, right? It's like we can we can. It is, and I say this all the time. It's like Achan's sin, you know, in the Old Testament, right? It's like mm. Achan, 
you know, it was like God telling, you know, Joshua and all them, go in, kill everything in the city of yeah. I. Uh, even though I never really existed and archaeological data has already <laughs> debunked that. But that's for a different conversation. That's for a hermeneutics conversation. Yeah, that's for, right, 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 right. That's a, that's a Hebrew scripture. Uh, thing right, 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 right. <laughs> <laughs> but, um... Yeah, man. I mean, it's it's interesting because it's like Aiken, it wasn't until his third time being told um, and the angel finally showing up and him being like, oh, OK, man, I took that shit, man. I'm sorry. God damn it. You know, and and by then it was just like, oh, it's too late. You're only sorry because you caught. And that's yep. it's where I feel like now it's like people are only sorry because they got caught. That's it. You preach it, brother. There's never an apology in the midst of it. No. As soon as you get caught red handed. Sorry, we didn't handle this well. Right. Um, I, did, I didn't know that we didn't have that. The hell? Yes, right. you did. Yes, you did. <laughs> you are complicit. You didn't know that. Right. You were full. And it's similar to our president. He knew good and well this shit was probably going to pop off back in November. You know what I'm Absolutely. saying? Absolutely. And then it did a thing. But now, and now he's trying to rewrite the narrative. And that's what institutions do when they don't have systems in place. They try to rewrite the narrative and say, okay, we, we are getting ahead of it. No, we should have been ahead of it. Healthcare, sh- like for systems within higher ed, systems within schools, because with CPS, if we're going to go fully online, how many CPS students can afford a computer being at home? You know what I'm right. saying? Like, right. Right. Every system is being caught red-handed right now. Yes. And people's eyes should be on how those systems deal with that, from the local to the state, then up into the federal level. And even and and you should be we should be paying attention to how the church handles it too. There it is, man. There it is. Oh man, brother. That's a good word to end on, man. I know I could keep going with you, man. This was this For has sure. been powerful. Um, let's do it again, man. <laughs> yes, I may have to just put this on my regular podcast, man. I had to put this shit out there, man. This is because uh, I think it's important, right? I mean, I think it's important that we have these real talks, and then the next step would be: it's like, well, what what are we going to do, right? Mm-hmm. What are we going to do in the midst of the bullshit? Um, I don't know. I'm trying. I'm trying to figure that out. You know, in my mid forties, I'm still trying to figure that out. Hey, it's hard, um, and I'm looking to you to help find out. If you're <laughs> I have 20 years. Your uh, your youth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something something like that, man. Something like that. <laughs> I'm oh. uh, good chopping it up with you, Doc. Good chopping it up man. with you too, brothers. You take care, man. Say hi to Miranda for for, sure. for a brother, we'll man. Brother. We'll do, man. Keep your family safe, all right, man? Definitely, definitely. You too, man. Hey, will do, will do, brother. All right, now. Peace. Peace.